Well, good morning. Hey, glad that you're with us today and excited to see your face. And if you're with us at home or in the commons or on the fellowship hall, glad you're here too and can be with us. And it's good to be together. How was your week? Mine was, uh, my weekend was filled with a lot of sun. So I told everyone earlier, if I kind of blend in with the pink, my face feels like it's on fire right now. And I was told I don't look too red, but I, I feel like I'm on fire. I got a lot of sun yesterday. Hopefully you did too. And uh, today we're going to continue our series, Uncertain Certainty, because so much in life, it just feels and really seems and is uncertain right now. Uh, so much is uncertain. And so we're going to look to Jesus as we navigate some uncertain times and times that are hard. And um, because he's certain, he's unwavering. Uh, you know, one of the areas where I think a, a lot of people maybe even feel this uncertainty is even just life itself, like breath to breath. Think about it. I mean, uh, have you had this question cross your mind? Am I going to get the virus? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? Which then it goes from not just uncertain life, but what about uncertain death? What's, what's next? Am I, am I ready to die? Am I really ready for that? I mean, a pandemic has a way of making you think about life and death more than maybe you ever have before in your life. And realizing that your very life is uncertain. And, and maybe, maybe not uh, life in general so much, but maybe it's more just so much has changed for you over the last few months that it all feels uncertain and it feels like a death of sorts where there's so much has changed and it's never maybe going to get back to the way that it was. And you wonder, am I going to make it through this? You know, kind of figuratively, literally, am I going to make it through this? Well, if that's the case, if that's you, uh, these are questions that you're not the only one who's faced. In fact, everybody who's ever lived faces those sorts of questions through their life. And I think we're living in a time that's maybe unprecedented in that everyone on the face of the earth has been asking and experiencing some of those questions all at the same time throughout the earth over the last couple months wondering about the certainty of their life and of what's going to happen and what's coming next. And, you know, it isn't new, though. This was as true in Jesus' day as it is today. And in fact, we're going to look at uh, an account this morning in Jesus' ministry where he comes to some of his friends who are facing some of these sorts of questions and going through them himself themselves. So if, if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn open with me to uh, John chapter 11, or if you've got an app on your phone, that's great too. But John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, let me just make this statement again. You know, Christians, as a follower of Jesus, we don't necessarily experience, experience things that are different from those who don't know Jesus in terms of the realities of life, right? Like, like suffering, hardship, sickness, death. I mean, how many of you, uh, you know, you became a Christian and everything just became all rosy and great and wonderful? Maybe in the moment it felt that way, but the reality is you quickly learned that life is still hard. We still live in a really messed up world. And just trusting Christ doesn't necessarily change those experiences for us. However, 
While we don't have different experiences, we do experience life differently. We go through those things with a hope that other people don't have, with a perspective that's eternal, knowing Jesus is certain through all of it. So with that thought in mind, that's going to kind of overgird everything we're going to look at this morning. Let's jump into John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, Bethany is a small village about two miles east of Jerusalem. And Lazarus, you've maybe heard of him. Uh, he's really, really sick. And we keep reading that this was the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Now, there's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. So maybe you're wondering, which Mary is John talking about? Well, John's on your side. Check it out. He tells us which one. He says, it was Mary who, was anoint who, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Well, if you kept reading, you find out that event doesn't happen until chapter 12 of John. So John is assuming whoever's reading this, they already know the story of Mary because it was such a big story that he's going to point out who this Mary is in case you had any questions. And her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So we find out Mary and Martha are sisters, but Lazarus is actually their brother. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This was somebody Jesus loved. It was a close friend of his. And uh, some would speculate maybe they were even friends from childhood. We don't know. That they grew up in the same place. It's hard to say. But when Jesus heard it, how would you expect him to respond? In many ways, this is kind of a prayer, isn't it? She's calling out to Jesus. Jesus, the one you love is ill. Can you come help? And how, do, how would you expect Jesus to respond? You'd think, oh, it's Jesus. Like, he's going to come right away. He's going to drop everything, and he's going to be there, right? Well, let's keep reading. Uh, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It doesn't lead to death. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? What happens to Lazarus? He dies. So what gives? What's Jesus talking about? This illness doesn't lead to death. Is he lying? Does he, does he not know? Is he just ignorant? What's going on? Well, no, he does know. He says it's for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified, Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when John talks about God being glorified over and over, he's not necessarily talking about like, you know, this is going to happen so everybody praises him, which is part of glorifying God. But he's saying every time he uses that term, it's, it's this is going to happen so that God's glory would be shown, so that it would be revealed. And Jesus is like, here's why this has happened. Because you're going to see who I am. You're going to see the Son of God be glorified. You're going to see who I really am. Now, um, let's just keep reading. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. See, I mentioned, you know, Jesus said, hey, this illness doesn't lead to death, but we've already said, we know the story. It does. It, he's going to die. So what's he talking about? Well, we'll get to that. Jesus, I think, is referring to a different type of death. But we're reminded right away by John that even in the midst of what's coming, which is going to be really hard for Mary and Martha, Jesus loved them. He loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. And guess what? He loves you. And you have probably, at some point in your life, or will, or are facing circumstances like Mary and Martha are facing here, where, where someone you love 
is incredibly ill or someone you love has died or there's just some sort of crisis in life that's incredibly, incredibly hard. And you need to be reminded, even on the front end of that, it doesn't change the fact that God loves you. He doesn't spare you necessarily from all those different circumstances of life, but he, he does help you go through them in a new way, knowing that there's a better life on the other end. Let's keep reading. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now there's a curious word in this verse, in verse six. Do you know which one it is? It's the first one. That word, so. Because we read, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he loved them. So what do you expect to come after the so? So he went right away and healed Lazarus because he loved him. That's what. No, check it out. He loved them so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was because of his love for them. I wonder, have you ever considered that um, sometimes the things God allows us to go through that are incredibly painful, he allows us to go through them because he loves us, because he has something else in mind. You know, there's different seasons of life. There's seasons where things are good, seasons where things are incredibly hard and everything in between. And I don't know if you noticed, they kind of mirror the seasons of the year, of the calendar, don't they? where you have spring, where there's new life and, and things are good and you have summer and uh, it's warm and inviting. And then you have autumn where, autumn, I love autumn. Do you like autumn? But one of the things about autumn, what's happening in autumn? Everything's dying. Everything's dying. And so really while autumn seems beautiful, there's really a sense of it where it's really pretty painful because it's leading us to the death of winter. But something else really curious happens in autumn when God takes us through these things is that seeds get planted in the fall that pop up in the spring. And so Jesus delays here and he allows this to happen because he loves them. And sometimes even as you're facing that death, guess what's happening? Seeds are falling, they're getting planted. And even as you go through the death of winter and it's incredibly hard, uh, you won't see it in the moment and you hopefully will see it as you look back. You're gonna find out that some of the things that happened then, God has used now to bring new life in a later season. And sometimes he allows those incredibly hard things because he loves us. And because it's the only way those seeds get planted for the spring. That doesn't mean it's not hard or painful. It just means that God still loves you through all of it. Never forget that. Well, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples two days later, okay, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again? See, the place where Jesus was, um, was across the Jordan at another place called Bethany. Remember Lazarus and Mary and Martha in a little town called Bethany? There was also a Bethany that we read about in John chapter one, where John was baptizing people across the Jordan, John the baptizer. And Jesus in John chapter 12 goes to that place because people in Jerusalem are trying to kill him. 
and in that area. So he flees for safety, he and his disciples, and now he's hearing that Lazarus is sick and ill, and uh, his disciples are, are you sure you want to go back there? That's only like two miles from Jerusalem. They were trying to kill you there. That's why we're here. You really want to go back into that mess? Well, he does, though. Jesus answered. He answers them. And then in verse 11, after saying these things, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, well, I love this. The disciples were like, well, Jesus, if, if he's fallen asleep, won't he just wake up? I mean, he's going to recover then, right? I mean, it's not a, not a big deal, is it? I mean, and John tells us, well, they, they had assumed that uh, Jesus was speaking of death, and they assumed he was talking about the fact that maybe John was just taking a nap. But that's a metaphor for, for, for death throughout Scripture, falling asleep for those who, are, who know Jesus and are followers of his, that, that when you die, it's just you fall asleep, you close your eyes, and the next thing you know when you wake up, whether it's uh, an hour later or 200 years later, you're alive and awake and present with Jesus. And it's like that. You're just falling asleep. It's just a transition. It's a good nap. But the disciples didn't understand this metaphor at the time. And so then Jesus, I just kind of wonder if he takes a deep breath. He's like, guys, he's dead. I'm talking about the fact that he's dead. He's not just asleep. See, he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Again, he's allowing this hard thing for their own good. But let's go to him, he says. So Thomas, who is called the twin, Thomas says, let us go also then, guys, that we can die with him. You know, Thomas usually gets a bad rap. His name's associated with doubt. But in this case, he had no doubts, did he? He was, he was the hero here. He's like, I'll go. Let's go. We'll go with him because chances are they're coming after him. We'll die with him. Now, when Jesus came, so they make their way to Bethany, the one uh, close to Jerusalem, which, by the way, would have been about a four-hour, or four-hour, four-day journey, 95 miles. Uh, when he came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Ouch. Jesus kind of blew that one, didn't he? I mean, he had warning a couple days prior, he waits two days and then it takes him four days to get there and Lazarus has been dead now for four days. Well, that tells me a couple of things. One, even if he had left, the moment he found out, Lazarus still would have died before he got there. And, and two, though, uh, that, that Jesus is in full control and that he left then right after he knew Lazarus had died. Well, John reminds us the Bethany he's going to was the one near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews... Uh, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, this was common in that day. You would hire professional mourners to come in for a funeral to weep and wail alongside you uh, for, uh, for days at a time. You know, a lot of times in, in funerals and in and things today, or even the way that, that we mourn, it tends to be a little bit more quiet, a little more reserved, you know, I just, I got a box of Kleenex and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I'm, I'm just kind of quiet, I'm mourning and maybe I break down a little bit, but then I kind of get myself together and, and I'm going to be okay. Take a deep breath, right? Well, in that day, no, it was just like you weeped and wailed. You let it all out at 140 decibels and you just let it go. 
And really, there's some things that are really healthy, I think, about that in mourning. Because sometimes, you know, I think we could probably benefit from that. A lot of times we ignore mourning and we move right on to the fact that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Cheer up. You're like, do you know what this week was like for me? I do. Jesus loves you. Cheer up. Well, that, that might be helpful after I'm done mourning. But right now, that's not very helpful. And sometimes it's just good to mourn. And I think we can learn from that. Well, verse 20 then, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him on his way. You know, I think Martha, there were Jews there from Jerusalem, maybe some who even had uh, called for Jesus' life. And so as Jesus is coming, remember he had run from them, or not run from them, but they had left to go to the other Bethany, and now they're coming back. And uh, Martha comes out to meet him on the road, maybe in fear that there would be some kind of uprising if he made it to the house. I don't know. But he gets, she gets out there, and she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd been here, Lazarus would be alive. You know what she's saying? Where were you? <laughs> Don't you care? Why weren't you here through all of this? I wonder, have you ever prayed that or thought that? In the different struggles and trials you've gone through in your life? God, where, where are you? Jesus, why aren't you here? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. It, it certainly wouldn't have gone down like it did. Where were you? Why didn't you show up? That was Martha here. And you know what? Here's the kicker. She's right. <laughs> if he had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have had to die. He could have saved him. And you're right. If Jesus had shown, if he wanted to, he could have stopped the thing from happening. But I think we can learn from Martha's response then after this. I think it's good to maybe express those things, but then also to have the faith that she has. She says, but even now, even now, even in my suffering, even in this hard thing, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so Jesus turns to her and he says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And then Martha gives kind of the response, I think, I would probably give if I were in that spot. You know, she goes, uh, I know, he'll rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Kind of like you'd give at a funeral. Like, yeah, I know, I've, I've heard the funeral message. I know uh, this is only temporary. They're going to rise again. I, I know, Jesus, that's going to happen. I get it. And then Jesus says something profound. He looks at her and he says to her, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, if you have the NIV, you'll read it like this. And I like that better, actually. It says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then I have this next phrase highlighted in my Bible. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live. 
Do you believe this, Martha? And really, that's the question of her lifetime. It's the question of our lifetime. Do, do you believe this? Have you, have you come to, to terms with that fact that if you trust Jesus, there's life eternal? It's a certainty. November of 1789, Ben Franklin, maybe you recognize this quote of his. Maybe you've quoted him in some way, shape, or form. He said, uh, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Some have said they're the same thing, death by taxes. But, but that, that, those, those things are certain. And in some ways, I mean, I think he's right. I mean, have you experienced that, right? You gotta, you're going to die. You got to pay taxes. But I don't think it's totally complete. I think there's some things he's missing here. I, one would be simply that uh, there's a third one for sure he failed to mention is that nobody ever gained eternal life after death. It always starts before. It doesn't start after. And you could also say maybe even more universally that really there's, there's uh, three consistent things that everyone on the face of the earth is going to experience birth or conception and death. And then you're going to experience one of those two again. You're going to experience those two things three times. First, everyone's life begins. Everyone who's lived was conceived in their mother's womb. Their life began. It absolutely began. The second thing that's true is because of our sin, everyone dies. Even Jesus died. He died for your sin and for my sin. The third thing, then, you get to choose which one you experience a second time. You get to choose. Well, what do I mean by that? Does that sound strange? Because if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you die only once. What am I talking about? Well, Jesus said something similar to a guy named Nicodemus, a religious leader. In other words, kind of a pastor. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, what I'm about to tell you, Nicodemus, is true, that no one can see God's kingdom without being born again. And Nicodemus goes, huh? How does that work? If you read the account, he's like, do I have to you know, crawl back up into my mother's womb and be born again? That's not possible. How's that going to happen? And Jesus says, aren't you a teacher of the law? Don't you understand? What Jesus is saying is that, uh, yeah, you've been born physically, Nicodemus. You, you've experienced physical life, and you're going to experience physical death. But if you want to experience true life, eternal life, there's a second birth that needs to happen where spiritual life begins for you by trusting me. And so uh, you get the opportunity then, if you're born physically, you, you experience life physically, you experience death physically, there's two. If you experience life spiritually by trusting Jesus, there's your three. Born twice, only die once. But the flip side's also true, that if you're born physically and experience physical life, you're going to face physical death, one in one, die. It's like the most accurate stat in the world. But the reality is that if, unless you're born again and put your faith and trust in Jesus and become a Christian, then you will also face spiritual death. Born once, die twice. And the spiritual death is really, you, you remain dead. You never come alive. And under, in spiritual death, you suffer the penalty for sin under God's wrath. 
You suffer that. But if you put your trust in Jesus, he pays that penalty for you and you're born again. Born once, die twice. Born twice, born again, die only once. And and really, that's what Jesus is saying to Martha here. She's like, I know he's going to rise on the last day. I I get it. I've been to funerals. I've heard that. And Jesus says, no, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, physical death, yet shall he live. If he believes in me, he'll have spiritual life and he'll never die again. In fact, you receive that spiritual life by believing in him. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me. That's why I said I like the NIV, the the New International Version, where it says, everyone who lives by believing in me shall never die. What death? That's spiritual death. You'll never face it. Let me give you one more illustration before we move on. Camp out here for just a second. You ever been stung by a bee? I've been stung one time, and I hope I never am again. But one of the things you find out, I know only once, that's pretty good, isn't it? Honeybees, if they sting you, what happens is there's a little hook on the end of their stinger, and so they sting you in the arm, and then as they fly away, it actually gets ripped out. It injures their body, and it gets ripped out of them as they fly away. But you're left with this stinger in your arm, and what do you need to do? You got to get it out, right? And then the pain will start to go away. But that bee may come back and it may buzz around you again. And you might freak out a little bit like, ah, it's going to get me again. No, it can't. It's already stung. The sting is gone. It's over. Is it a nuisance? Yeah. Does it freak you out? Yeah. Let's be honest. But can it do you any harm? No. No. Why? Because the sting has been taken care of. It's over. Friends, uh, Paul writes this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory anyway? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now he goes on, he says, the sting of death is sin. And guess who took that sting for you on the cross? Jesus did. So if you're born physically, a physical life, physical death, but you've been born again, you have spiritual life, then Jesus on the cross, what happens is he takes the punch of God's wrath for sin in your place, in my place. He's the one who's stung and sin has been cared for. And death may still be out there flying around, physical death for you, maybe near, maybe a ways away, but guess what? It's an injured bee and it's a nuisance and it might scare you, might freak you out a little bit, but in the end, there's nothing it can do to you because you've been born again and Jesus has taken the sting of death for you. That's what he's telling Martha here. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Well, so she said to him, uh, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. What's that tell you about Martha then? And and Lazarus really too. How, How do you receive that new life? You believe upon Jesus. What is she saying? I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the savior. 
Now, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying to her in private, the teacher's here, he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. You know, again, I wonder if she said it in private because there were some people there from Jerusalem who may have wanted to take Jesus' life. Now, uh, Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, just like her sister, Lord, if if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She too knows Jesus could have prevented this whole mess if he'd wanted to. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now this phrase, deeply moved. For some reason, in the English translation, we've softened that word to deeply moved. I think it's because in a couple of verses, we're going to see that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. If you want a good one to start your memorization plan, there you go. And it's a good one too, because it shows us his care and his love for us. But somehow this word has gotten softened to deeply moved. But if you could read this in German or in French or in Spanish translations, you would find out that actually this word here, they do it better, uh, was angry, was literally indignant. He was deeply moved with anger. Even the Hale video had it right. That Jesus was angry when he found out about this. Angry in his spirit, he was greatly troubled. And he said, all right, where have you laid him? You know, some things are good to be angry about. Death's a good thing to be angry about. It's awful. Where have you laid them? He said, they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's just a reminder. Listen, does Jesus know what's going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave, right? He's going to bring him back to life. Do you think Jesus knows that's what's about to happen? Totally does. So wouldn't you expect if he he was angry, he he just kind of toughed it out, said, all right, let's go. Let's do this. But what's he do? He actually enters into their anxiety, enters into their pain, enters into their anguish, And he wept. And my guess, everyone else was weeping loudly. I don't think Jesus just had a little tear running down his face. I think he wept with them. Friends, that's why Peter can write, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Every little detail of your life. If he cares about a sparrow falling, he certainly cares more about you. So the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, well, couldn't he he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? They're kind of like Martha and Mary's initial response. Where was he? Why didn't he just stop it to begin with? Then Jesus deeply moved again. That's that same word, angry again. He's still angry. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Somebody's dead, wrapped in burial cloths, put into a cave with a big stone in front of it. 
Yeah, this is totally foreshadowing what's going to happen to Jesus uh, days, only weeks later. Jesus said, uh, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, um, by this time, he's been dead for four days. It's going to stink. I don't think we want to do that. I don't think we're ready prepared for that. Let's not do it. But uh, Jesus looks at her and he just says, hey, Martha, do you remember what I just told you? Do, you? do you remember those things? He said, didn't I tell you that if you believed that you'd see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you that? If you believe, it reminds her of verses 25 through 27. And so then uh, they took away the stone And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Maybe you memorized that as a kid. Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came out. Think of this passage the next time you go to a funeral and you get to the graveside and imagine Jesus is preaching the funeral and he says to whoever it is in the coffin, come out and the coffin opens and he comes out. Would you freak out a little bit? I would. I would imagine the people's response. I bet everybody took a step or three or four back. And then I find this next part kind of funny. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips. He would have been bound up really tight. His face wrapped with a cloth. So the way he comes out too, just kind of waddling, you know, he can't really move. And then Jesus goes, uh, I have a feeling with a big smile on his face maybe even laughing himself, unbind him, let him go. Let him go. Friends, we still have the same experiences as anyone else in life, as those who haven't trusted Christ, but we experience life in a totally different way because we have this hope that the author of life is in control of this uncertain life, and that even in the face of death, if we've trusted Jesus, death has no hold on us. It's just an annoying, injured bee buzzing around our heads. And we have eternal life, and we can hold tightly to that. See, as, you, as we wrap up, we read in verse 44, that uh, the man came out and uh, verse 45, excuse me, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Friends, I wonder, have you believed on Jesus Christ? I I would commend him to you to trust him, to put your faith in him. He will not fail you. Life will not get suddenly, instantly better. It might get better in big ways. Maybe it will for you. But chances are life is still going to be incredibly hard. But guess what? Your experience of going through those things will be radically different 
because you have the hope of Jesus Christ. You have his spirit living in you, guiding you through all those things. And if you've never done that, if you, if you, uh, you know, maybe as he looked at Mary and, and said those words, you heard him speaking to you. Do you believe this? Friend, if you would become a Christian, it's very simple. All it is is simply believing in your heart that, that Jesus is the Lord, confessing with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, believing and confessing those things. And, and scripture is so clear. If, if you would do that, you will be saved. You don't have to get all of life together beforehand. Jesus will be the one who will help you get life together. Trust him. Trust him. Let's pray.